Hello and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. We are the boyfriends, I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And today we're going to be reviewing Season 6, Episode 4 of Desperate Housewives, The God Why Don't You Love Me Blues. Such an awful title. You don't like it? No, I hate it. No. In this episode, I'm going to be leading and Joel's going to be giving us the trivia. So do you have anything to start us off with? I do. So this episode was directed by David Warren and written by Alexandra Cunningham and it aired on the 18th of October 2009. So the title comes from the song of the same name from the Sondheim musical Follies. And this episode, as much as it pains me to say, marks the last ever appearance of John Rowland. Oh yeah. Yeah, that that does make sense. Uh, It pains me to say that because he is one beautiful man true but he has served his purpose he has served his purpose so what happened this week in 2009 there's actually quite a lot it's quite a big week news wise uh, so on the 12th of october which was the monday edgar Allan poe receives a funeral in baltimore usa 160 years after his death and 200 after his birth wow i mean i know that some people take a while to organize a funeral but that's got to be a world record i know right 160 years worth of organization right there jesus <laughs> so on the 14th of october which is the wednesday korean founder and leader of the worldwide Unification Church, Sun Myung Moon, holds a mass wedding ceremony for a thousand couples. Why? It's a cult. Sun Myung Moon was a cult. Right, okay. That makes more sense. Also known as the Unification Church. So, Tim Berners-Lee issues an apology for the unnecessary forward slashes he used in URLs that he designed for the World Wide Web. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. Right. On the 15th of October, Finland becomes the first country in the world to declare internet broadband access a legal right. Damn right. Right. Finland are like light years ahead of us. We're all still stuck in the dark ages over here. And like Finland, Sweden, Norway, all light years ahead of us. Yep. Four day working, three day weekend. Yep. Mental health is way better, all that. Speaking of Norway, Norwegian pop trio AHA announces they are to split after 25 years together. Oh. Didn't even realise they were still going. (laughs) I thought they began and ended in the 80s. Same. Also, fun fact, B used to get scared about the AHA music video for Take On Me. I didn't like the weird 2D drawn animation police officers chasing the people with their wrenches or whatever they were holding, or their batons or whatever. Yeah. Australian pop singer, songwriter and actress Kylie Minogue, you'll really like this, makes her Hindi cinema debut in Blue, thought to be the most expensive Bollywood production ever. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uruguay becomes the first country to provide a laptop for every child attending state primary school. Brilliant. And the government of the Maldives, including President Mohamed Nasheed, holds the world's first underwater cabinet meeting to highlight the threat of global warming. Cool, cool. And finally, on the 18th of October, Hurricane Rick strengthens to a Category 5 storm, becoming the strongest hurricane in a decade in the eastern Pacific Ocean. The Australian state of Queensland declares a state of emergency after more than 50 wildfires burn out of control. And Scotland Yard starts to investigate complaints about an article by Jan Moore in the UK's Daily Mail tabloid concerning the views of Stephen Gately. Oh dear. And all this climate change stuff is only getting worse. Yeah, so that's all the news. And then finally, the last little bits of trivia are the number one song in the USA was because they're finally new. Oh, thank God. The greatest feeling ever. (laughs) How sad I am. (laughs) So the number one song in the USA is Britney Spears 3. And the number one song in the UK was Alexandra Burke featuring Flo Rider, Bad Boys. Finally, a change. Right? That's so good to hear. (laughs) And those were great songs as well. I like that Alexandra Burke song. Yeah. Do you have anything else? No, that is all my trivia. That was a lot, to be fair, because a lot happened this week. That was great. Yeah. So previously, Carlos let Anna get a job at John Rowland's restaurant. Mike broke it off with Catherine and married Susan instead, and Catherine thinks that he still loves her. <laughs> Lynette accepted a senior vice president job from Carlos, 
and failed to tell him that she's pregnant. And Susan found out that Julie is pregnant. Yes. So let's start with the opening. Mary Alice says that Brie is having an affair and we see a montage of Brie coming up with different reasons to leave work early. One of which is telling Catherine, I'm going to the salon, gotta keep the red hair red, which kind of harkens back to another episode which implied that Brie's natural hair colour is not red. Yeah, when Awesome was like, how about her real hair colour? So that was a nice little throwback. I liked that. And I'm very curious. Also, call out to the awful CGI shot of the message on Bree's phone at the very beginning of the episode from Carl. Oh. <laughs> like, it picture didn't even fit on the phone screen properly. So, like, it was just so bad. Like, why, ha- why not just have a legit message? It won't cost that much. Because cameras often find screens difficult to shoot. Oh, really? Yeah, but it never like has a, a problem with, like, fuzzy effect. But it never has a problem with, like, TVs and stuff in the background. Mm. Well, but, oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, one morning, she comes in to find that Catherine's been cooking since 3 or 4 a.m. And she's cooked everything, stating that she's got all this energy because she's in love. Lies. It's drugs. Brie questions this, and Catherine reveals that Mike and Susan aren't working out and that she still loves Mike. And Brie then leaves to go and have her affair, rather than staying and helping her friend. So the utter mistreatment of Catherine from everyone is just disgraceful at this point. I don't really blame Brie, to be honest. This is a mess, and I get away from it as well. Catherine's clearly there like, oh my god, like, oh, we did this, and oh my god, he he loves me, and oh, and I'm, don't do drugs, kids, because this is what it turns you into. This is an ongoing affair that she's having. She could literally just blow him off just for a minute to sort out what's going on here, because this needs addressing. It does need addressing, Catherine's yes. having a moment. So after the title sequence, Mary Alice then talks about how we don't know our neighbours as well as we think we do, using an example of a man who beat his wife. Yeah. That was dark, but it didn't go anywhere. A woman who embezzles, and a couple on their morning run who love their cocaine. Like, fucking hell, Mary Alice, way to call out the mailman. (laughs) She's like, you wouldn't know, but this man's a dirty, disgusting wife beater, and if you look closely, you can see the uncontrollable rage behind his eyes and the blood on his knuckles. Like, Jesus, Mary Alice... (laughs) And thus we have the possible episode theme, the secret lives of our neighbours. Yeah. what happens behind closed doors, maybe. But really, that's kind of every episode theme. I mean, that's, that's, like that's a, the whole series. That's like a running theme throughout the, the whole show, really. Yeah. But let's see if we can maybe explore that as we go through. Mm. So we're going to start with the Bolands. Danny is sad one morning because no one at school likes him following the accusation that he strangled Julie. So just, you know, casual school things. Yeah. After he leaves for school, Angie and Nick talk about how when teenagers are unhappy, they become sloppy, which won't work for them and their big dark secrets that we don't talk about. So they have to think of a way to make him happy. There's a couple of things in this scene that I think we should point out. Angie says in this scene that she doesn't have a degree, which I find quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And obviously, can't really talk about it, spoilers, but when we get later in the series, I'm hoping people would also realise as to why that's quite questionable that she doesn't have a degree. Oh, yeah, I guess we'll get there. We'll get there. But obviously, when Danny's like, I'm not going back to school, and she's like, one of us in this family should get a degree. And I'm like, you don't have a degree? Yeah, it, it, when 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 doing this series and people, if you're watching along as we do it, just like keep notes on your phone. So just write down right now, Angie says she doesn't have a degree and yeah. we'll get back to that. And then Nick is an absolute arse. Like, Angie's really nice to Danny right here and she's like, oh no, don't worry, like it'll all sort out. And then Nick's like, why are you being nice? Because it's her son, bruv. Why are you being nice to this? Why aren't you bullying this kid who's also getting bullied at school? You should be bullying him. No, he's been accused of a crime that he didn't commit and is being punished for it at school for like through bullying you shouldn't be doing the same thing to him as well well anyway 
I don't really like Nick, but I think I've made that quite clear. And it's not a surprise that he's been a dickhead in this particular scene. No, there's just, there is no need to bully your child. We've we've mentioned this before in previous, so I'm not going to harp on it, but a child's first bully should not be his parents. Or their parents, should I say, not his. So, Angie goes over to Porter to convince him to hang out with Danny and have a party. And at first he says no until Angie pays the boy, including beer money, and tells him to invite lots of people and include lots of cute girls and to throw a whole party. <laughs> yeah, it's really cringe needs to stop trying to pimp her boy out like the last time no offense but the last time danny met a cute girl she got strangled and put into a coma so i don't think any of the other girls are going to want to hang out with him because it's just too much of a risk well it depends how much money there is to go around although you know porter might find some girls that are into danger i did think it was quite funny though that he was like yeah i've got to go starts to reverse and she just like pushes the pushes a little bit yeah i know later on danny is happy to find that angie bought him a new shirt for the party as well as a new shirt for herself which she goes to try on and reveals her scar to Danny again. He asks if she thought of getting rid of it, but she says that she doesn't need to and that they need to be more careful with money, etc. He then says that Nick isn't careful with money and Angie reveals that after the explosion... The explosion? Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, we're pe- peel the onion. Explosion? We're, like, we're, we're peeling the onion a little bit more now. We're getting a little bit more info. The one thing that they've been shit at in this show, in this season, shall I say, so far, is keeping the fact that they have a secret. We know they've got a secret, but what they're now good at doing is just peeling a little bit of information. They're like, but we're not telling you what the secret is. So Angie reveals that after the explosion, she was in bad shape and Nick took care of her. And Danny then promises to make lots of money and take care of her one day. you got to finish school first, kid. Yeah, got to get, got to get your degree. Also, would like to point out, that shirt is basic as fuck. And men's fashion was so boring back then. Wasn't it just a checkered shirt? Yeah. Like something that I would buy just because I'm like, oh, I kind of need a new shirt, but yeah. I, I'm not looking for anything fancy. Your wardrobe is full of checkered shirts. Well, yeah, it's men's fashion. <laughs> Squares. We'll, we'll get to it. I've made, I've made note about it, but... <laughs> <laughs> so the Bolands are having the party now and Danny calls out Nick for flirting with underage girls. Yeah, right. It's, why are you there talking to teenage girls, you creep? Yeah, he's gross. Nick says that he's sick of Danny's attitude towards him and that he doesn't deserve it. And Danny says that he does deserve it because he knows. Yeah, ooh. But what does Danny know? What has Nick done? Has he slept with underage girls? Is he the strangler? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was suspecting in the first episode because of how he spoke to Julie. Is he the Fairview Strangler? Is he the Strangler? Is he the Fairview Strangler? The hashlinging slasher? It would also be very obvious if he was the Strangler. But it's more likely than Danny, let's be honest. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that is the Bolans, who clearly have some stuff going on behind closed doors. Explosion, and Nick's done something. Yeah, that's, explosion and creepy perv. That's the information that we've gathered from this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, to Lynette. Lynette is unhappy, and Tom is very happy, that she is in her second trimester and her boobs are getting bigger. Yeah, the beauty of a push-up bra. (laughs) So Tom is happy for very obvious reasons, wanting to, you know, play with them, put his face in them and stuff. Yeah. But Lynette worries that having to hide them from Carlos is going to be impossible. Just wear one of Tom's shirts. She can't do that at work. She can. No, we're past season one, Lynette. We can't go back to that. So later in the office, one of the men reveals to Carlos that Lynette has obviously had a boob job, showing a picture of her from the Christmas party compared to now. Mm. After threatening to punch the guy if he isn't gay, which was weird and... It's like, it's not homophobic, but it's it's very strange. It was very strange. It was Carlos protecting his friend. Yeah, but he's, he's cringy. But weird, yeah, in a weird way. But I'm also like, you do realise that is workplace harassment, right? Anyway. Yeah, but so is what the guy was doing. Yeah. I think everyone in this company is going to get fired and sued at some point. Yeah. So he reveals to Lynette that he knows about her secret, and Lynette mistakenly thinks that he's talking about... 
<laughs> There's just hilarity ensues of a misunderstanding, and we have a clip. Ah, so Tom's responsible for all this. Well, who else? God, you are such a good wife. I wish you'd talk to Gabby, get her to jump on the bandwagon. Does Gabby already have her hands full with the two she's got? Mm, they're okay. I always thought we could do better. What? You know, Gabby really looks up to you. If she knew you got a boob job, she might consider it. Boob job? Sorry. Breast enhancement. And just give her the name of your doctor. He did great work. So one thinks they're talking about the pregnancy. The other one's talking about boobs. Yeah. Well, of course, Carlos is talking about boobs. But like, I know he's Gabby's husband and everything, but is he an idiot? Because surely Lynette would need time off to recover from implants. He's looking at boobs. He's not going to think about that. But at no point was there a thought where he's like, mm, but Lynette didn't have any time off. No. <laughs> but another perfect example of how Desperate Housewives does this sort of misunderstanding innuendo really well. Yes, and I don't think that we should understate how if a misunderstanding scene for comedy is done well, it is very good and it's very funny because when a misunderstanding happens and it's just um, unbelievable, it can feel very insulting and annoying as an audience member. Yeah. So this was funny and I appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, like we've said before, Desperate Housewives always does those scenes very well. Uh, they find a way to work it into a believable storyline and have it be a believable misunderstanding as well. Because an awful lot of the time, like you say, you, you see misunderstandings that really aren't legit and you're just like, no one would ever think this anyway. Yeah, normally once you get to, to like season seven or eight of a, sh a, a show... Yeah, when the writing's like, kind of, like, getting a bit lazy. Yeah, they're like, oh, I don't really know what... I, I know what I want the episode to be about, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. Yeah. Unfortunately, Lynette doesn't take this chance to say, I haven't had a boob job, I'm pregnant. Which is, you know, what someone you would think should say. So, later on, Carlos tells Lynette about a couple of men, new clients, who like Lynette's boobs, and suggests that they take them out to dinner and let them admire Lynette. Yeah, the Bertolini brothers. He doesn't seem to understand why Lynette doesn't like the idea, making a bad analogy saying, why would you buy Christmas ornaments if you didn't want to hang them or something? And Lynette mm. basically agrees with this and accepts the company credit card to buy a new dress. So the whole scene was just red flag central for me. Yeah, like you don't get boob job. People don't get breast enhancements or boob jobs or whatever to be stared at. People get cosmetic surgery for various reasons and almost all of them are valid. This is a very early start of why Carlos in this season, eventually, towards the end, I absolutely despise him. Or, or midway through, I can't remember quite the placements of episodes in this season without seeing them. But this is a very early example of how it, he becomes very problematic towards Lynette in this season for me. Yeah. He's like, you, yeah, you, you show off your boobs, but go buy a new dress. Mm. This is what it's all about. And it's like, we don't yeah. need to make business about this. No, we don't. So Lynette and Carlos are now at the restaurant with the new clients. And even though Lynette is uncomfortable about the whole thing, Carlos makes her lose her jacket and let the boobs out. Mm. Later at home, though, Lynette talks to Tom and she seems over the moon with the evening saying that people stared and waiters were constantly pouring water and the clients bought from them on the spot. And she asks why men, pointedly towards Tom here, are obsessed. And Tom says that he likes big breasts, okay? I like big breasts. But he doesn't answer the question, which is what really bothers me. Why? Why are men obsessed with boobs? I don't know. They're just pretty cool, aren't they? No, they're not. <laughs> and it's, it must be like a biological thing. Because obviously babies are you know, reliant upon boobs. Boobs give the milk and what have you. It must be like a one of those kinds of things. I mean, yeah, it was your very first and earliest 
need. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> and then that must just carry over into most men's adulthoods. Naturally, I do not have a fascination with boobs, but also I believe I was probably bottle fed. Yeah, but boobs are pretty cool. Like, even as a gay guy, you're like, damn, boobs are kind of cool, right? I mean, boobs are cool. They always look fierce. And when, your friend, when you have friends and they have, like, cleavage dress dresses and you're like damn your boobs look great good for you oh yeah you're gonna get some yeah but i've got no desire i'm not sexually attracted i've got no desire to motorboat the next woman that walks into the house no 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 she then worries that he may have settled for her considering that she doesn't actually have huge boobs which tom seems to like and tom says that he likes her how she is imperfect because he is also imperfect and she says no one can tiptoe through a minefield the way that he can yeah because she says so do you ever feel like you're settled and he went well yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) just straight up says it (laughs) this was weird this was a very tacked on addition to the story this is the very end of lynette's episode which has been about how people are ogling over her boobs and how she's being mistreated at the workplace because of her boobs and then it suddenly gets into a relationship thing yeah and tom's like they're saying i'm not movie star handsome really because I mean, Doug Savant's quite hot. I mean, Doug, please. And I'm like, that, in his heyday, I bet he was a proper heartthrob in his heyday. We should, we should, we really should look that up. Young Doug Savant. Young Carlos, young Doug. Sorry, I don't remember Carlos's real name. <laughs> but anyway, maybe we'll post something on the Instagram. <laughs> We're now going to move on to Gabby. So Gabby, who has apparently spent $300 on perfume, wants Carlos to come home as she's been home with the kids all day. She then sees John letting Anna out of the car and instantly looks annoyed and jealous. Annoyingly for her, they seem to have some sort of chemistry here, which is kind of gross, but Mm. he insists with Gabby that he's just taking care of his employee. She is underage, and yes, I know that he was underage when Carlos and... Not Carlos... (laughs) Um, when Gabby and John had their affair and it was just as gross but it is interesting to see the shift through and how Gabby is like now having to handle it as the adult Mm. and now maybe she can understand why John's mum reacted the way that she did back in season two yeah also $300 perfume I bet it smells amazing so Gabby finds that the girls are playing with packs of condoms that they found in Anna's room and we have a clip what you got there mints 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 that are ribbed for her pleasure? Yeah, we found a whole box of them under Anna's bed. Anna! Can I have one before dinner? No, no, you can't eat these. These aren't mints, they're balloons. Yay. Grown up balloons. Do you and Daddy play with them? If we did, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. Yay. I should really get you tested. <laughs> can't say that every time Celia's in a scene. I know, but every time that Celia does anything, it's so funny. Oh, Yay. God. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to Anna to have a good old talk in with her. And Anna says that her and John haven't done anything yet, but that she loves him, which makes Gabby throw up in her mouth a little. And Gabby, he's my boss. <laughs> She's there like, I want a lock for my room. Really, bitch? When I've just found condoms, I'm shoving you in a chastity belt and sending you to a convent. I didn't write down what Anna said to Gabby in particular, but she's such a joy to have on screen, Anna. She really is. She's such fun. She's just so sassy. Every time that Gabby walks in and says anything, she has such a quick comeback. And you just got to love that teenage sass that she brings to Gabby. <laughs> yeah. And like Anna brings, gives Gabby the opportunity to be honest with her in this moment. And she's like, what's your problem with John? Like, why are you acting? Why does he make you crazy or something? And Gabby's like, I'm not crazy. You should have just straight up told her right there and then. I had an affair with her. Your uncle Carlos knows people got hurt. And that would have instantly turned Anna off John. 
instantly. Anna yeah. would have been like, ew, like, you fucked my Aunt Gabby. No thanks. Turn yeah. off. Yeah. She yeah. Should, if she'd have done that, we wouldn't have the story going the way it's going right now. Yeah, because Anna's not going to want Gabby's like sloppy seconds as teenagers used to call it back then. No, dirty leftovers. No. Yeah, no, Anna's not going to want that. Gabby goes to John in the restaurant to talk to him about Anna's crush and basically friends him, saying that Carlos will beat him up if he does anything with their 17-year-old niece. John then reveals that he was only flirting with Anna to get Gabby's attention. So he says that she is unhappy in her married life and she's basi- he's basically come to rescue her. Anna then walks in to find them kissing and she does a walkout. It's even worse that John is using Gabby's 17-year-old niece to get to Gabby. Like, this girl is 17. She doesn't deserve this sort of heartbreak yeah, at he's that kind age. Of, he's kind of grown up to be a bit of a D-bag, hasn't he? A massive D-bag, which kind of makes him hotter. But he was also... <laughs> sexually abused underage so that probably affected him a little bit oh yeah of course so good job gabby you can't <laughs> you've probably done that you really screwed it up yeah right oh god and she should know better so gabby goes home to find anna on the stairs pissed off with gabby for kissing someone that she likes but gabby says that actually she didn't kiss him he kissed her and there were no tongues. She then threatens to tell Carlos. So Gabby opens up to Anna about the truth and that they had this affair. About time. And how her and Carlos's marriage survived. Anna then brings up that the photo that of her and John that she keeps looking at, which was interesting. But she says it's just a memory and that she'd never go back to that. And she begs Anna not to hurt Carlos and their marriage. And luckily, when he walks in, Anna doesn't bring that up and tells yeah. Carlos that she just wants to quit her job at John's restaurant. Yeah. And yeah, call out Gabby for this photo. Mm. Like, I get it. She's like, I was looking at a memory. Like, if I've had a tough day, then sometimes I think about what I've been. But bitch, get rid of that photo. Yeah. Close your eyes and think instead. Use your imagination. The photo shouldn't even exist, but I've already been through that weirdness. No. But I can't believe she got caught looking at the photo. Yeah, I know. What the hell? (laughs) Later that night, Carlos is home from the dinner that he had with Lynette and the clients. And Gabby is tired in bed, having not waited up due to exhaustion, apparently. Mm. She says about how small her life feels and talks about the day-to-day errands that she has to do while thinking of John. And we know that she's thinking of John because while she's talking to Carlos, it cuts to a shot of John in the restaurant who opens an envelope and finds Gabby's photo of her and John, but it's ripped down the middle. Yeah. And then it cuts back to Gabby and Carlos and Gabby tells Carlos that despite all of it, she is happy with her life. I know, it really started as like the most depressing conversation to have in the middle of the night. And if I was Carlos, I'd be like, bitch, can this wait till the morning? I'm just going from work. <laughs> but it turns out to be quite a nice conversation in the end. Yeah, it was quite nice. Quite um, quite a journey they've had, I guess. They, I, see, I maintain that Gabby and Carlos have the most interesting relationship journey I, of all of the characters. I don't really like their relationship though. But at least he's being less of a dick to her this season. He's Well, he's doing all that towards Lynette. He has now. moved on to Lynette now. But I do think that as from where we see them in the very beginning of season one to how we get to at the end of season eight, I think is a real, a really interesting marital journey. Yeah. And well, I th- to be fair, they all have interesting marital journeys. I think for all for different reasons. To Except be fair. Susan. Susan has interesting marital journeys. Hers is more over-dramatised. I don't think Susan's is very interesting, just because it's just typical. Yeah. Speaking of Susan, Susan is in hospital with a still unconscious Julie, and Andrew shows up with some flowers. Like, so sweet. Love that. And I know Susan says the same thing, and she's like, 
I love that you two have remained friends all these years. And I love that too. I love that too. I think it's really cute. Yeah. So he says that they've stayed friends and become closer ever since she dropped out of med school and got a job as a waitress while she figures some stuff out. <laughs> Bombshell. He, he's literally been in this room for 30 seconds and he's already got Julie in trouble. Right. <laughs> Susan didn't know any of this and was very shocked about the whole, well, mostly about the whole waitress thing. Mm. She really didn't like the waitress thing in particular. This is real gay best friend energy. Mm. Getting your friend in trouble with their parents. Yeah. Real gay best friend energy right there. So she then interrogates him about the guy that Julie's been seeing, but Andrew doesn't say much until he panics and says that the guy's married. This is so unfair. Like, Julie's in a coma and everyone else is having to deal with the fallout of her drama, and she just gets to, like, rest. She gets to rest up. Sleeping beauty vibes here. Right? (laughs) But there's nothing wrong with waiting tables. Obviously, I can see what Susan means. I don't necessarily think that she thinks that it's a bad that she waiting tables i just think that she had in her mind that her daughter was on a specific career path well it'd be interesting to have a storyline of susan realizing that she's put a lot of expectations into julie in her life i think that might reflect a lot of the audience's views as well because the audience has probably had quite an expectation for julie's life following what we've seen in previous seasons because she's always been so put together and then she was off to study so i think everyone probably thought that she was gonna you know make it big and do lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Later at home, Mike comes into Julie's old room to find that Susan has ransacked it and been reading her journal. She's not ransacked it. Julie just left it lying around, clearly. Silly Julie. No, the room's been ransacked. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately for Susan, Julie never says the married guy's name, but refers to him as D, which Susan is surprised by, but if anything, it just makes Julie look more promiscuous, referring to a man that she's sleeping with just as D. No, I think Mike called it right when Susan was like, why would she just use his initial? Like, what's wrong? And Mike was like, probably because she knew that her mum would find the journal. Yeah, probably worried that her mum was going to read her diary. Exactly. So I think Mike called it right, to be fair. But like, Julie's not a little girl anymore. She's a grown woman that needs to learn to make her own mistakes and live her life. 100%. Susan then confides all of her worries and Mike answers the phone to hear that Julie's now awake. So she goes to her in hospital and is told not to ask any questions and to just let her relax. But she can't help it and she just says, just so you know, you're not pregnant. Lynette said that you thought you might be. This upsets her and then Susan offers to tell her boyfriend, which just irritates Julie even more. So she asks Susan to leave. If you want, I could tell your boyfriend that you're okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the greatest thing to wake up to after the strangulation. No, it's really not. Bless Julie. Like, And I say good for you, Julie, for standing her ground and being like, get out. (laughs) Yeah, let the girl recover, and then we can have a go. Yeah, we give her the third degree later, but God, her brain's probably still swelled up. Mm. Susan goes back to the hospital, presumably the next day, and says that she wants the police to talk to this man that Julie's been having an affair with. Julie says it wasn't him as she broke it off with him, but Susan says that that's just a motive, actually, Mm. (laughs) which is a very good point, Susan. Very good point. Yeah. Julie then shows concern for his family if this gets out, which prompts Susan to ask what Julie was even thinking when having this affair. And Julie says she isn't perfect anymore and that she's going to make mistakes. But then Susan walks out with quite the telling off, saying that she didn't raise her to be this stupid and that Julie knows what an affair like this can do and that she has seen it firsthand. Yeah, which she has. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to sound so overdramatic, but this scene gave me chills. It was so good. You don't need to worry about that. You say it very often, so... I don't say the scene gives me chills very often. <laughs> All right, well, you say something along those lines very often. Like, just... Because what's what's the name of the actress that plays Julie? Andra, is it Andrea Andrea, Bowen? Andrea, that's it. Because I wrote Angie for some reason. Like, there's just... 
Andrea and Terry have always bounced off of each other very well, probably because and- Andrea worked with Terry from such a young age. So they've just, they've got a real good connection, I imagine. But now that we've seen Andrea as an adult, I think I love adult Julie more than I love teenage Julie because there's just so much raw vulnerability that's there. And for, oh God, Terry, just the way that she delivers the line of being like, you've seen it firsthand. And then just walks like, oh, God, it was so good. Such a good scene. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that she's getting a telling off because what she's done is so stupid and she should know better. But yeah, she is going to make mistakes. But that doesn't mean your mum's not going to tell you off as an adult for making mistakes. No, of course not. But I do think that all of the pressure that Susan had, or at least Julie felt like Susan was putting on her, mm-hmm. I think has just come crashing down and has kind of caused Julie to just snap. And be like, I'm not this perfect person that you keep making me out to be. The one that was propping you up when you were going through your divorce with with dad. and The one that was making dinner for you because you couldn't get out of the bed and eat. I'm now an adult. But also the audience. She's like, guys, I'm Julie and I'm not perfect. Yeah. I'm not here just to be a comedy side character that supports the bumbly mum. Yeah. But any young people listening, you're never too old for a turning off from your mum. No, never. You're never too old for a telling off from your mum. And even when you really think you are, your mums are still going to do it. But at the same time, <laughs> once you hit a certain age, you're actually allowed to tell off your parents. Oh, yeah. I tell off my mum all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and if you'd met her, you'd understand why. And I'm in the room every time wishing that I could just leave. <laughs> so, Brie is having trouble with a couple who are getting married who can't decide on their wedding cake until they see a new design that Catherine must have made and they love it. Mm, oh god this bloody woman just say no oh yeah the whole every time that i hear you go mm, i yeah. know that you don't like it like if you don't like it just say and give me ideas there's nothing i hate more than someone saying no or i don't like it without actually giving me some some form of of idea to use in its place if you've got a problem with this you give me an idea just tell me what you want mate yeah like that's otherwise you're out on your ass good luck with the wedding and bon appetit this is the funny thing about Brie, though, is that she's so good at what she does and so particular that it makes complete sense what she's doing here. But she's also so particular that it's kind of hilarious to imagine her doing any retail work or anything that's client or customer facing. Yeah. Because when things like this happen, she just has that look on her face and you're like, oh my God, Brie wants to kill you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and Brie could never hide that. So, Which oh. I can relate to from working in retail for seven years. And brides are the most diva like brides and grooms not just brides but brides and grooms can be the most have the most diva attitude about the bits and pieces on their wedding it's the most important day of their lives for a lot of these people well that's because you're told from a young age it's the wedding it's your day yeah it's the bride's day it's my day bitch it will be my day yeah it's my special day it's my special day so everything has to be perfect so actually on top of it being sort of like a customer facing retail kind of hospitality kind of work you're dealing with people probably at their most anal well there's nothing worse than working with someone who wants everything to be perfect it's like bruv what are you talking about nothing's ever perfect Can yeah we just move anyway we're tangenting yeah Later on, she's talking to Carl on the phone, who clearly just wants to have phone sex, so she hangs up. Right, she's like, a peach nighty. There's nothing sexy about what Brie is wearing on this phone. Like, on, a peach like, nighty? Yeah, right. A peach night or whatever she says. Like, there's nothing sexy about it, Carl. Don't even try. She then looks out the window to see Catherine sneaking around Susan's house, trying to peek into the windows. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good! The next day, she brings this up to Catherine, who decides to dish to Brie 
everything she saw that night, apparently feeling very happy that Mike was watching a ball game while Susan was upstairs, and so Bree tells her that she needs help. You're right. Catherine's like, does that sound like a marriage to you? That sounds exactly like a marriage. Bree's like, <laughs> quite frankly, yes. And also, this is probably a great time to say this, but it doesn't matter if you're a new couple, a long-term couple, fiancé married, or whatever your situation is, it's perfectly okay for people to have their alone time. Yeah, like if you just want to go and read and your partner wants to play PlayStation or something, absolutely no problem with that. Yeah. Go for your life. Some couples like spending all of their time together. Personally, I like a bit of alone time every now and again. You know, when B goes out with his work friends or what have you, I will be invited. Sometimes I will go. Sometimes I say no because the thought of just sitting at home and playing a bit of PlayStation alone is what I want. Sometimes I want to do my own thing and have you there. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, it's fine to be alone. Like, Absolutely fine. So if, if someone's watching a film or playing a game that I don't want to play, I don't really feel like it's a it's horrible of me to want to go to another room and read or something. No, and actually, it's quite healthy to have alone time from your partner. You don't need to be around them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You see, Catherine, this is part of the problem with you, isn't it? Yeah. But this doesn't but... go down well with Catherine, who tells Bree that she's sick of carrying the company, and Bree sends her off on sick leave. Mm-hmm. That like, was, now that was a good line she's like I'm carrying this company yeah I know I mean let's face it we've all been thinking it but I just putting her on sick leave isn't enough like you can't you need to make sure that she's okay as well like removing Catherine's only thing that she's got going on in her life right now is not going to help her that's going to make her worse no I mean this is a bit of a difficult boundary though because as an employee and an employer you can't mix those things up. As a friend, you can. So this is where it gets a bit complicated, really. Yeah. But, all, all she can do is tell her to seek out help and just hope that she does, really. But I don't know what she was wearing because I don't remember what Catherine was wearing. But I had to have a little note to say that she looks amazing. Like the top and skirt combo is brilliant. So I wrote these notes two weeks ago. I've forgotten what she's wearing now. But apparently <laughs> I loved it. Actually, I thought Catherine looked pretty good for most of this episode from, from memory. Yeah. I remember during the opening montage that she was looking good in each shot. I mean, there was one where she was just wearing like a chef's coat. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. But the other <laughs> ones are really cool. One, one was a bandana or a headband of some sort. Yeah. Very cool. But Catherine always looks great. Yeah. Later, Brie is setting up the tables for the client's wedding from earlier, and Catherine offers help, saying that her job and her friendship with Brie is all that she has left and they make up, with Brie saying that if she says she's better, then she believes her. A kitchen man then walks out with the wedding cake, which really pisses off Catherine, who yeah. says that this was her cake that she designed for her and Mike's wedding, and this cake clearly makes Catherine snap, who refuses to let someone else have her and Mike's wedding cake. Brie makes a really distasteful joke here. What, what one? <laughs> uh, when she's like, well, aren't you glad it's going to use or something like that? And I'm like, Brie, now's not the time for that joke. <laughs> she's trying to save the situation. I don't think she's realised how deep this is. No, like, uh, you're, you're, you're arguing with someone that's not of sound mind right now. Mm. So Brie has to fight Catherine and stop her from destroying the cake. And all this is happening while the couple are getting married outside and the guests can see them all running around through the big glass windows <laughs> so funny the way that like she pulls Catherine to the ground and then she jumps back up and she's like help help and then she like runs <laughs> away with the, the cake, cake. Yeah. help <laughs> yeah this is it's very good it's like a pure lauren hardy kind of moment yeah and then you just hear in the distance Catherine, no <laughs> The next day, Brie finds Catherine going into the test kitchen, seemingly unaware of how serious her actions have been. Where she has just destroyed the wedding cake. 
Mm. And Brie tells her that she's fired and that she needs to get help before her obsession with Mike ruins her life. Mm. She tries to look out for her friend, but Catherine says that Brie is not her friend. And before giving back the keys to the kitchen, she scratches Brie's car and says, there you go, a souvenir of our friendship. Right. Oh my God, bitch did that. She did that. She scratched the car. No Bree offense. loves that car. No offense, Catherine. <laughs> I know, right? And two chilled glasses. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Like, just no offense to Catherine, but you can't pull a stunt like that at work and then just expect to rock up the next day perfectly fine. And all Catherine has to say is, it won't happen again. I don't want to talk about it. No, bitch. We need to talk about it. Yeah. You, yeah. You've gone off the deep end. You're off the deep end. Remember who your employer is as well. Right. There's no way this is going down, like, not smoothly. <laughs> no, you just, you very nearly destroyed Bree's business. I'm surprised Bree still has a business already and she's not destroyed. Imagine the reviews. Some crazy lady came into the kitchen and destroyed my cake. Mm. The episode ends with Nick Bolan walking into Julie's hospital room. He goes up to her as she sleeps and says, Hey, Julie, it's Dominic. I've missed you. And we cut to black. Which is the D. Dominic mm. is the D. He's a D bag, but he's also the D from the journal. He is the D from the journal. Is Nick the real strangler or is he just a red herring? He's a hash slinging slasher. It could be Angie. <gasps> nah, that's not Angie. Um, <laughs> and that is where the episode ends. So yeah, that's quite funny. Yeah, it was a really good episode, I thought. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they have, are actually giving Julie some good storylines to go with here. I know. We haven't had a good storyline from Julie since season four. And most of the time, her stories are kind of her being a background or side character to Susan. Yeah. So the last, like, the last real storyline Julie got was with Austin. Yeah. Which I, get, I think was season four or three. I wow. can't remember now. What a throwback. I know. <laughs> that was the last real decent storyline that Julie got. Mm. So let's move on to our next segment where Joel is going to give us the gayest and straightest moment of the episode. So what do you have for the gayest moment? Is it my award for gayest moment? I couldn't actually think of a gayest moment for this episode because nothing really screamed to me. So I'm going to give it to Britney Spears for having the number one song in the USA this week, Three, which that's, is a song about a threesome. That's pretty fair. Yeah. That's pretty fair. And then on the opposite end, what do you have for the straightest moment? So my award for straightest moment... <laughs> ...goes to Danny for liking that shirt his mum bought. Well... That was the most basic-ass, rodeo, straight-guy checkered shit I've ever seen in my life, and I'm so glad that the checkered shirt phase is, like, dying out. Yeah, I mean, I do... I like a checkered shirt, but... You own, like, seven of them. But it's not something that I get excited over, <laughs> you know? You literally got two at Christmas and were really excited. That's because one or of them birthday, was... birthday, sorry. That's because one of them was thick. Thick as in, like, thick and juicy. You know, thick like Roxy Andrews. Thick as in my birthday's in winter. Yeah. And that's a thick shirt, so <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> So now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parents. So who do you have for the best parent? My award for... Best parent of the episode. I gave this to Susan for giving Julie a good telling off about the affair. Sometimes you just have to give your kids a good telling off, even when they're no longer kids. Yeah. People just need a good telling off sometimes. Oh. I really enjoy a good telling off scene. Yeah. This really did it for me. Yeah, you really do, don't you? You love that in The Crown as well when Olivia yelled at... Is it Josh? I think his name's Josh, yeah. yeah. So when, yeah, Elizabeth to Charles at the end of season four. Then might I suggest you start acting like one. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> love Great. telling off. We love Olivia Coleman as well. So. <laughs> um, who do you have for the worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. I gave this to Nick or Dominic, for flirting with Danny's underage friends at his party. 
Creepy and gross. Yeah, real creepy and gross. It nearly went to Angie, but then Nick really just tipped the scale with that. Why did it nearly go to Angie? Because she had to pay people. Because she bought Danny that shirt. She had to pay people to give him a party, and then she wouldn't leave the party. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I thought you were going to give it to Susan, to be fair, for reading Judy's journal. Nah. Needs must and all that. Yeah, and I will not allow people to say that I'm unfair on Susan, because every criticism that I've ever had of Susan, I'm pretty sure it's fair. And so I will not have that slander me right now. (laughs) I mean, there's been so many criticisms, I can't remember every single one, but I'm sure not all of them were fair. I'm sure I've had problems with some of them. No, they've all been fair. No. So that's all the awards. Bravo, bravo. Fucking fucking bravo, bravo, guys. That was season six, episode four. The God, why don't you love me? Blues. Blues. (laughs) If anyone has any questions, queries, comments and theories, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. And we also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And the artwork is done by Louis, our friend Louis, who you can find on Instagram at docredmonkdesign. And there's a link to his Etsy page. Yes. Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from to drive up some engagement. And then we'll be back next time in your ear holes with season six, episode five, Everyone Ought to Have a Maid. Yes. See you then, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.